Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the Baxter Young podcast. We have made it to episode nine, and um, I've decided that I'm going to do ten in the season one, and I'm going to have a have a little rest and come up with some some new ideas. Um, and for this episode, um, I am extremely pleased. It took me about a year, but we, we have a reason for that. But I have uh, <laughs> Helen McCormack, who is a senior orthotist and the private lead at Peacock's Medical. And we are going to talk about hypermobility and orthotics. And we, the idea for this came after I listened to Helen's Tea Time talk through BAPO. And I just think it's a very um, misunderstood subject, uh, perhaps. I'll, I'll, so I won't dive into it too far, but I'll introduce Helen. And uh, I want Helen, just as I always start, to tell us a little bit about your, back, about your background and how you kind of ended up where you are now. Well, thank you very much for asking me on. Yeah, sorry, it took a whole year. I was busy having, having a baby, so back, back at work. Um, so, yeah, do you know what? And thanks, thanks for the podcast. I really do enjoy listening to them. And I must say, when you asked me to come and do this, I thought, how am I going to introduce myself? Because, oh, you've had some cracking people on with uh, many, many, many years of experience in orthotics. And I've, I've just reached nine, nine years since I've graduated. And so... Not maybe not the background as much as some but people. You're so. probably the only person I know that has a specialist interest in in hypermobility. So you are yeah. one well, of. Well, I think people. everyone's got an interest in it. I think people haven't delved into it. My question, anyway, we'll go we'll go into it in a bit. But I always, if I don't know the answer to something, I have to go and find out the answer to it. I, I, I can't leave just people saying. Like, oh, I don't know. Well, we'll don't know. get into that in a bit. We'll get you into that. Have any questions you can't answer tonight, or else uh, we'll have to do the follow up next week when you've got all the answers. I can always find something else to dive into. <laughs> Hypermobility, we'll go into something else later on. Um, graduated nine years ago, and then, um, and then what happened? Well, I think that why why did I get into orthotics I think it's always always the starting point I think everyone always asks why did you get into that profession no one's <laughs> ever heard of um and uh in all honesty I'd never heard of it until I actually started the course um at Salford um I I come from a medical background my dad's a GP my mum's a scrub nurse and I always wanted to be a doctor but I only wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon I didn't want to be anything else I have no idea why I I guess I just wanted to play Meccano in, in people. Um, so that's always been from a really young age. So I think as I got older, I remember someone talking about prosthetics on Blue Peter when I was probably about eight or nine. So, you know, get out there and it does get into the heads of the young people. Yeah. Um, and then it just sort of went from there. And I, I went, um, I didn't want to go to medical school spend all that time just to be an orthopedic surgeon I just wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon I don't care about the rest of it the fast um, <laughs> nah. so I didn't know what I wanted to do because yeah career service at school was never going to pick this one out I don't think um I went off to Manchester University and I did a degree in anatomical sciences I knew I wanted to do something with the human body yeah start down that route nice. got to start somewhere yeah um finished that and that's when um, my uncle um, put me in touch with Blatchfords and said, oh, maybe you should go try and do a week's work experience with these guys. It's amazing what they do. So off I went and did my week's work experience in prosthetics and orthotics. 
still didn't really understand orthotics, kind of ignored that. I definitely got the bug for prosthetics. So I'm going to uni, I'm going to go do that. And I really enjoy prosthetics. But for me, it was, you just don't know what's coming through the door in orthotics. So as yeah. soon as I knew what that was, and it's playing Meccano with people, but on the outside, not the inside, yeah. that totally. was it. I would have a similar thought like you join you think prosthetics was the way I was going to go and then by the end of it I was like yeah similar orthotics is that kind of slightly more unknown less predictable challenge yeah 100% also I like to be busy and prosthetics is what five six patients a day while orthotics yeah I'm tearing my hair out but 20 patients a day in the NHS is (laughs) I think think a busy day for me now is about five or six patients (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well you know i'm now nine years into the profession and you know six patients a day sounds pretty good <laughs> yeah, yeah it is good i'm not gonna deny it tonight it's not gonna lie i think as well though when you spend more years uh working and i want to get into deep delve and you know you need more time to yeah. do these assessments and everything it, yeah. it, it, it's so hard to do it in 20 minutes isn't it it really is or half an hour or whatever some people are very lucky and they get a much longer um it's so hit and miss between which clinics you work. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a whole other yeah. episode, appointment times. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I called that, that that title. I don't know how many people would listen. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't quite got there yet, but I'm not a far back. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I, um, I'm a, a northeastern girl from Yorkshire, from the most beautiful town of Whitby. So I did my placement up in the northeast and I came to Newcastle and started with Peacocks and I'm a one-trick pony. I've been with peacocks ever since up in the northeast. So, are you based? Are you, there which... be my nine years career of orthotics. Okay, and <laughs> and then when did you kind of decide? Like, when did you when did this interest come about hypermobility? Oh, I think um, my first placement mm-hmm. at university. I remember um, this lady came in before she'd even come in. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the the office I was shadowing and the admin you know look at the name on the sheet and they went oh I can't remember her name it's Mrs Brown oh she's a nightmare that's literally how it went she's a nightmare she says she's got EDS Ehlers-Danlos syndrome everyone just makes it up and it was literally like this she's she's head to toe with everything and I don't know what she wants from us so we just keep giving her more stuff and we just please her and yeah probably ringing through a lot of people's heads who have those patients in their clinics Perfect. Yeah, it's, it's just what happens, isn't it? And then, um, but the thing is, I was a student and my mindset was, oh, that was it. I've learned these patients yeah. who are bendy, who have this thing I've never heard of before. They're just a pain in the backside. That's how I learned it. And then um, actually, I think I, I was one of the lucky, I was on the second year of Salford um, three-year course. So we did two weeks orthotics, two weeks prosthetics, and then we did our four months okay. in either either. And then we had another, it wasn't EDS, but it was a hypermobility patient. It was a similar sort of situation. Oh, it's just, we only got a short amount of time. Just get them in, get them out. Just keep keep them happy. Um, otherwise, they'll just keep ringing. And you get it as much from like the admin side than you do anything else. Because yeah. they're the ones that have to pick up the phone all the time. So the patient's going, oh, this isn't working. That isn't working. And it just sort of stemmed from there, really. A um, couple of years into the the job I'm getting my feet under the ground here um and it was a, a pediatric clinic and it's another mum who 
pushing and pushing and pushing. My child's always in pain, can't do PE. I won't let her do PE at school. School are kicking off. Social services are looking into me. Um, went to Harley Street and got an EDS diagnosis in 20 minutes at Harley Street. And the physio this time was going, you can't get an EDS diagnosis in 20 minutes. They've just paid for this diagnosis. It's all wrong. They haven't had bloods taken. You can't be diagnosed without blood. And then I was like, oh, and that's probably where it starts. I went, oh, how do you diagnose yeah. EDS? So before we um, get to that bit, what, what is it? What is it? EDS, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And hypermobility. And what's the, like, I'll open up the, the door now. What hypermobility, EDS, what is where it? Where do we start? Where are they different? So we've got a lot of people to, to teach here, including me. <laughs> hypermobility, joint, uh, excessive range of the joints. Um, it can be genetic, it can be innate, it can be acquired, um, it can, I mean, <clears throat> there's many, many different ways it can come. There is, it is not a diagnosis, is, is what I always say. Mm -hmm. Hypermobility is not a diagnosis, it's a symptom, it's something, it's a sign, it's something you look for to help determine yeah a diagnosis similar to the or way we would look at pronation these days as being not a diagnosis but a potential instigator of a problem another yeah um now it can you can diagnose jhs joint hypermobility syndrome um which is a diagnosis um and what is joint hypermobility syndrome it's yeah. It could be so little, it could be so large. It can be, I've got really bendy fingers and I can do some cool tricks at school. Um, well, that's just hypermobility. But some doctors might actually say that's joint hypermobility syndrome. Um, or it could be, I can't get out of bed in the morning. If I cut myself, it takes forever to heal. Um, it pots, I stand up, I get really dizzy. It can be anything like that that isn't just, I'm bendy and can do cool tricks with my fingers. Mm -hmm. um, now, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, the diagnosis, once I'd looked into it, mm -hmm. um, it got reclassified in 2017, which was interestingly the time that I started looking into it, um, that it's, they, they don't use Bayton score, they use the five questions, which is pretty much when you look at it, the Bayton score. Okay. So it's... Could you do cool tricks with your fingers when you were younger? Were you bendy? Can you bend over and touch your toes? Can you bend your finger backwards? Or could you when you were younger? Because a lot of these questions go to adults and adults aren't as bendy as they were as a child, but it doesn't mean they have stopped being hypermobile. They've just stiffened up a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so the three sections, yeah, you got the five questions. Um, the second one is, uh, think off the top of my head. Uh, <laughs> the second one, um, Oh, yeah, I've, I've gone absolutely mind blank. Yeah, that's okay. So there's three stages to what... The, is this usually done by the GP or by the by a consultant or who's... Well, so this is this is up? the question. No one wants to actually do the diagnosis. So at the minute, currently, a lot of rheumatologists are taken over um, or are being referred to to help. Oh, I think this person's got EDS. Send them to the rheumatologist. But actually, the rheumatologists out there are saying it's not their job to diagnose either. And no one seems to want to diagnose. No one wants to take the blame as such for the diagnosis. Yeah. And so who are they meant to go to? Um, pediatricians will refer to rheumatologists and rheumatologists like it's not us. But 
I think some of them are sort of saying, well, it all seems to be coming to us. Maybe we are the ones that are meant to be diagnosing it. Mm -hmm. But it's such a simple diagnostic system. It could be the GPs. It could be pediatricians. It could be anyone, really. But it's never actually been differentiated. And is there blood tests involved? Because you said that obviously there's a question. No. So there there isn't necessarily a blood test involved. So the third of the three parts is that you have to rule out any other genetic symptoms so you could have a blood test Uh to rule out there's anything any other genetic markers um but you can just do other things like rule out marfans the main reason they're saying you got to rule out anything is that there is hypermobility syndrome such as marfans or osteogenesis imperfecta which you have to rule out because those are a lot more severe in the long run than eds um You've got genetic, you know, is, is there a genetic link in the family? Does anyone else have EDS? That's mm-hmm. um, determined. Is that common? Is that is it common? <laughs> yeah. Is so common? there's um, 14 types of Ehlers Danlos syndrome. Um, we mainly deal with type four, which is the. Do you say four or 14? 14 types 14. of Ehlers Danlos oh, syndrome. Yeah, 14, yeah. one, four. Type four is the one that involves cartilage. And so we'll, we'll come across them most often in orthotic clinics some of them are just vascular vascular we will also come across a little bit but that affects both circulatory system and um msk um what what does that look like to us vascular it wouldn't look like anything different to us they'll probably have a few more pots and symptoms um they'll probably present more with bruising but for us in orthotic clinics it wouldn't wouldn't come across much different when they complain that my orthosis has given them a bruise i say oh no it's not that it's, you've got ellis down loss yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it is i mean that is it, it, it really is a, a market i have um i've had two people actually it was really weirdly one week after another um younger well younger women they were in their teen years early 20s and they were going oh i get so lightheaded when i stand up and i went okay um, they were there for compression stockings. That's what they were in clinic for. Um, and they were like, oh, and while I'm here, can you have a look at my feet? Because my feet hurt. And then, you know, I'm measuring their legs up and I'm seeing bruises up their legs. And I was like, do you, do you bruise easily? Oh, so easily. And I was like, right. And it was literally that. I was like, I'm just going to bring your GP because that's the only way I could refer out mm-hmm. of the service um that I think you could possibly do with getting checked over and actually two ladies in two weeks both ended up with an EDS diagnosis literally just because I thought <laughs> there's a couple too many warning signs here for me um yeah that's interesting to, that was that was a thought I had in my head there was what what are you thinking when you when you're looking at people and you've probably got that that kind of checklist in your head when you see people that you're kind of always thinking about perhaps like mm-hmm um like perhaps that we would always ask someone if they were diabetic and you know just because it's a risk uh factor for us as, as clinicians and it's like and um, you know trying to make us more aware of the other risk factors red flags that we can be looking at when people are coming into clinic and on the msk course that simon dickinson and chris cox and the wonderful laura and everyone do i think i mean i've done that course a couple of times now but it really drilled home. You don't just think about MSK when a patient comes in for overpronating feet mm-hmm. and everything like that. You you do have to think about it when 
you see a diabetic patient you know what yeah. what's the reason they keep ulcerating on the first met it's it's not just oh they're, they're putting loads of pressure on just get your msk knowledge in mm. and i think it's the same with hypermobility it's yeah it might not change your prescription massively but have a think of that oh what how is that impacting them as a person it helps, you to say, it helps you to set a realistic goal for the patient as well so you can give them out like you know if you've got the the, the diagnosis can sometimes help with right oh we expect this to be something that we manage as opposed to being something that completely uh, resolves um yeah I, I, and i think that sometimes when you're given that information out rather than leaving it to the to the unknown saying i mean sometimes that does happen we can't predict everything accurately but we can if we can be a little bit more like oh because of this it's something we're going to manage for the for the long term and uh, and your prescription may evolve and look like this in the future it just depends what you do as, a, as opposed to saying oh yeah try that I don't really know what's going to happen um and yeah come back in six months and you've you've I mean you've you've got the the end goal with hypermobility just there it, the the key term is management it, it's not going to get to an end goal it's how can we help you yeah. with this and your therapy and your treatment and and things like that but I remember, I remember coming out of university as well. And the first thing you always thought you were going to do was never, you're never going to be involved in anyone getting an ulceration uh, and you were going to fix everyone. Like, so there was no problem, which is probably mm-hmm. the, the, the kind of unfortunate uh, ill truth that we, uh, we kind of think we're going to do when we leave university. Whereas actually using the words like, we're going to help you manage this is the way of, of, of helping people just as a kind of more general overview of things i feel like there should be a whole section of university that's just a whole unit that's just how to speak to patients how to actually treat a patient not not their feet not the symptoms not anything like that but how to treat the family yeah because like speaking back to those stories earlier it's it's the mums that are pushing for a diagnosis it's the the care of the guardian who's pushing and pushing and pushing the children just sat there thinking whatever you know they, yeah. they don't know yeah <clears throat> and often if there is a genetic link it's because oh i've really struggled my life with my knees and i've really struggled with this and sometimes they've never heard of eds um they just oh, i was really bendy and everything like this and i do a lot of pediatric clinics now mm-hmm. and all right general pediatric clinics i would say if I'm seeing eight, nine patients, five, six of them are flexible flat foot. <laughs> it's yeah. always the same sort of thing. Um, so when, when you've got that person coming them. in, that's when you're always like, that's when your mind's thinking. Is there yeah. anything there? Okay. And then I actually had one just uh, just yesterday morning, yeah. um, two-year-old. Um, oh, I'm here because the health has just told me my daughter's got hypermobility. Um, and this is the reason why she was late walking. I mean, she's walking now and she loves in the play park and she loves running on the beach and she loves doing this and she's really good at this. But I'm really worried because she's got hypermobility. And it's we spent the, the next the rest of the appointment going, she's 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 active, she's doing what she wants to do. She tires easily. The reason she tires easily is she's hypermobile, she's having to work her muscles a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. It's gonna take her a little bit longer to get stronger in the lower limbs and a balance and everything like that. But she's doing what she needs to do. The last thing we should do is put her in stability boots because that's just going to be too heavy. It's not going to allow her to use the muscles yeah. she wants to use. And it's just that conversation with the parents. Yeah. That's all it was in the end of it. That is a big thing that, that we would, as 
clinicians as orthotists get a lot of referrals for stability footwear for people that were not walking or potentially hypermobile. And it was always a bit of a, a strange one to me. The more I kind of thought about it over the last like few years, like giving them something that's heavier and stiffer, which probably then makes them have to work harder. So it's probably having the opposite effect, maybe what we want to do, depending and on. Where did people start doing this before yes. I started? That is the, yeah, <laughs> and I'm thinking who, like this, someone's obviously come up with this and then it's been like a, a nationwide, like kind of like unwritten kind of referral yeah. pathway that you would get referrals for stability footwear for. Um, for... I think it's been like that forever and a day you get the older patients now post polio patients or just i don't know patients who just come in for some random reason you go oh have you had any orthotic input any anything in your shoes and they all just go yeah i remember when i was younger about 60 years ago Mm -hmm. i had a big old boot and a big sole on it yeah i can't remember anything else and sadly my parents can't tell me because they're no longer with us and you sort of think it's literally just been like this for years and years and years yeah. And you're in the northeast, and you see it, and I'm in South Wales, and I see it, and you yeah. think, like, how did is was that an evolution, perhaps, from the way that it was, you know, the way footwear was prescribed, so, uh, for for so many things, um, yeah. in olden times, but uh, maybe now we try and have a better understanding and need to move move forward from that. We're we're tangent into stability footwear, which I can talk about a lot, but <laughs> you've already done the footwear podcast, like <laughs> I know, but not with a clinician, not with a clinician. I was like, yeah. Matt, Matt was super scientific, so it, uh, <laughs> to talk to a clinician gives you a different angle, but um. It that's a whole different story. So, okay, I'll I'll, I'll steer us back. I'll steer us back. <laughs> um, so, what are the? There's maybe somewhere just before I ask that question because we talked about you see we typically see like type four EDS, but mm-hmm. like just as a kind of an, a broad overview, like I mean EDS is like from my basic understanding, cut can be m- so many different variations of symptoms um that are affecting internal organs and 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 then probably even more than that like other levels that are so severe that you know people are not not probably able to walk and things like that so mm-hmm. can you clean that clean that poor description up for me it's hard to clean it up because so hypermobility is such a broad spectrum or joint hypermobility syndrome can be such a broad spectrum and eds can actually overlap joint hypermobility syndrome. So you can actually get someone who's got severe JHS, mm-hmm. but isn't EDS. And then you can have someone who's got an EDS diagnosis who can actually do a lot more than someone with joint hypermobility syndrome. Right. And that's where there's still a bit of confusion, I think, in the classification and criteria, because I... In all honesty, I've read one paper that explains it one way, and I've read another paper that sort of over denies that, and you know comes up with a different example. And I think this is probably why as well. So there's no, is there no real, diagnosis. So there's no real clear way to say no. This is joint hypermobility syndrome, and this is EDS because it's not yeah. clear how you would split someone, but overall, they can kind of merge together. Yeah. At some point. So if you see someone, whether they've got the EDS diagnosis or the joint hypermobility diagnosis or no diagnosis whatsoever, mm-hmm. they've just landed on our desks because we've tried everything we can and we don't know what to do with them. Yeah. Off to orthotics, there you go. Yeah. Um, 
which is often the case. We're always the last ones on the run. Um, I can't imagine I, you're the last on the wrong anymore. I'm trying <laughs> you to get, to get them all. All the rubbish, <laughs> we're just sending them to you. <laughs> Nicely in our paediatric clinics now. They all, it's an it's a MDT clinic with physios and they just send everyone straight through to me now, which yeah. is lovely because all I'm doing is giving them the same advice that physio is giving them. Mm. And if I find anything, obviously I'll send them back to the physio team, but that I'm not sure about. But yeah, it, it's a bit, it's not very clear cut. It's not oh. very clear cut. So that kind of leads on kind of nicely then to, because what I'd like to know is like, what are the kind of most common issues you see with these patients and when they attend orthotics? It's the most common ones that you'll see is the tiredness. Um, the not wanting to get out and do much. The, oh, I did a lot one day and I can't do anything the next day. Um and, and pain and pain, pain is it and a lot of people think you have to actually dislocate and you have to sublux joints to have all these symptoms you, you don't you just they don't actually have to fully dislocate or sublux or anything like that um it, and that's that's what we're treating is i want to get better i want to do what i want to do but we can't treat that mm -hmm. as we've already we can help you manage that but we can't treat that. And do you find the pain is, I'm imagining that the pain is probably not that specific. It's probably quite generalised. It's generalised. Quite often they'll have an area that's more concerned than the other. Um, so ankle pain is mm -hmm. more painful. Hip pain is a very common sort of area because um, there's a lot of load going through there. And if you haven't got strong glutes, as we all know, it's it's very hard to yeah. control that area. Um, Back pain, neck pain, but it can change from day to day. And mm -hmm. if you haven't, if they're having a tired day because they've done a lot the day before and they're sitting on the sofa all day, that can set off a different pain because I've been sat in a different position all day, right. loading other joints. And um, is there is there treatments that you regularly use? Like, is there any prescriptions that are, or do you treat it more like an MSK assessment from that point? If you can make it specific and see something like. If there is an excessive amount of pronation um, and they're complaining of medial ankle pain, uh, then you'd be like, okay, well, can apply my MSK principles here and see whether that generates a, a positive response uh, on review. Or, or do you find that 90% of the time you're just, you, you're, it's a lot of advice basically reassuring that, yeah, this is kind of the way we manage this is load management. So again, a similar kind of MSK principle, but load management in terms of activity level and whatnot. It's MSK management, but not just from the point of orthotics, but from physio rehab as well. So it's MSK and MDT and onwards referral management. We can help you by reducing the soft tissue stresses, mm -hmm. um, but you're going to have to put in the hard work to, to build out strong. And they, that's not what the patients want to hear. And it's not what the parents want to hear when yeah. they're going, I don't want my daughter to go to PE because she's crying for the next two days afterwards. Mm, yeah but you also can't bundle her up and get her to do nothing at all you do have to to work towards it so yeah it is majoritively information <laughs> alongside the msk and and in terms of like the and i think sometimes we don't have to like like you've alluded to you've got an mdt there so i mean there are other people who can input like an imagining that uh physiotherapy probably has as a significant uh input into this and imagine it's probably 
mainly them, a little bit of mm-hmm. us, and then you know the the doctors are probably not really involved unless it's very severe. Physiotherapy, OT, mm-hmm. OT, such a a big one. Um, if you can't even close a door or turn on a light switch or mm-hmm. play with your phone without your thumb hurting, mm-hmm. what kind of quality of life is that? Yeah. So even just going to them, um, shoelace techniques, just simple things like that. And I think sometimes as well, when we've got a patient in a clinic and they go, oh, my knee pain's an eight out of 10, we're always striving to get them as close to zero as possible. We, we know we can't always manage it. We'll get them to close to zero as possible. But actually for hypermobile patients, um, severe hypermobile patients, just dropping them from an eight to a six is such a life-changing event. Yeah. And I think orthotically we can sometimes overkill it. Um, yeah. Oh, I've got a, a, a lax ACL. Um, so, all right, we'll stick them in a, in a lovely ACL donjoy yeah. knee brace and it's yeah. beautiful, but actually it's too rigid. They need a bit of that laxity to be able to walk. That's how they, they've learned to walk. It's that, their, that was their my exact question was about, yeah. I'm just thinking of an example of seeing someone in a clinic I'm covering and it's just to replace a brace and they're coming in mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, how do we get to this prescription? It's like, yeah. and I think- And is we it were, too rigid? Like, and, and how do we know how much stiffness from an orthosis that they require? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's that's why I think it's hard. I mean, I, like, we're probably not going to have the, the experience or a skill to be like, okay, well, this is, I felt this many uh, hypermobile knee joints and this is what you need. And I, and I think trying to, whereas we can sometimes with a foot orthosis, can be quite um, confident, I think, with a lot of the training that we've, we've all had, like you mentioned, the MSK course, might be confident about tests that we can do to gauge the stiffness of, what type of orthosis we might use um mm-hmm. when a knee, you've got a hypermobile patient who's got painful knee and you're just like like you'd say you're like what where do you where do you start it's, it's probably better to start down the then the lower end and then you know gauge 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 it from feedback so with hypermobility uh their pain is every time they have a pain flare-up it's basically a new trauma flare-up it's a new sprain happening over and over again well you know, it, it could happen in the morning, a sprain as such, and then it eases off by the afternoon or it could happen once a week or it could happen once a month. But we kind of have to treat it like it's a new sprain. It's a new trauma every time. So actually, sometimes maybe the all singing, all dancing ACL brace is the one when it's really early in the pain. Mm-hmm. If it's going to get them up and going to get them moving and really hold that knee, that's that's what they need. Yeah. But then we need to step down to yeah. an SK brace or, you know, just physiotherapy management yeah it's not have this brace and live in it yeah and i think that's where nhs struggles because quite often you get one brace one you're thing this everything. one insole you're allowed this one brace but it's such a change in feast from hour to hour but but i think that, that can be said for many conditions that we treat because a lot of things we are treating are not acute we're treating chronic problems whether it's uh, in hypermobility or whether it's in foot drop or, you know, stroke or cerebral palsy, like, and and those people, one example I always go back to is I certainly work in the the private industry is that you'll, you'll see kids and you'll get people who come to you. They've been somewhere else. They've tried something, you try something else. You know, it probably works well for a bit. And then 
they change and then they think, oh, well, it doesn't work anymore. Now they gave me the wrong thing. And then they go see somebody else get a different thing. And it's like, I always try and explain that like your prescription is going to evolve and there's with, with the person, what the expectations are, whether or not it's applying, like the best example I can give is whether you're, you're, you're going down the lean own route of footwear, rigid orthoses, fully harnessing that ground reaction force, uh, or whether you are actually like, they've had some other complications. So we're actually going to like compromise the prescription a little bit so that they're more comfortable uh, and to meet the, the kind of their needs uh, and, and, and their expectations of the child when they're a bit older. So like uh, prescriptions, I think in general, everywhere should, should be allowed to evolve and change. And it's not mm-hmm. always one thing for each, each, uh, for flexible each Yes. I mean, me personally, I wear, hiker boots when I go hiking and I wear flip-flops when I'm just popping to the shop I don't wear one type of shoe for everything I do it's, so yeah. why is it the same for every everything we give out and yeah totally agree and I think like you tend and sometimes you'll see if you do see someone who's got something that's acute that, that they probably wear something mm-hmm. the optimal um prescription for that for while it's bad and then as it goes away or reduces then they can begin to use that less often and and yeah. kind of focus around um so um, my, yeah no no go 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 <laughs> I was, well I was gonna say well this is when you when you're chatting to the these patients and it's coming out with this straight away and I think a lot of these patients are looking for hypermobile patients and their families are looking for a confident um clinician mm-hmm. who can say I understand where you're coming from I understand that it's a moving feast. I understand that your pain one day isn't as pain as the rest of the day. I understand you're needing something acute versus long term. And I think once, definitely when they found someone who is able to get it out before they get it out, that before they say exactly the same thing, they've they found that confident clinician, mm-hmm. that knowledgeable clinician, they, that's it. You've got them. You've won them over. And yeah. then at that point, you can say to them, we're not going to get this brace. We're not going to do this. Um, or we're going to give you this, but you're going to go do this. Uh, you're going to go do your rehab. Um, I don't think, I know you've looked into this and you've seen someone else with hypermobility with this type of brace, mm-hmm. but it's not for you. Yeah. And the reason yeah. it's not for you is because you are stronger than them. You have more willpower to go and do your rehab. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, and as well, if we give you a, um, a knee brace that's going to stop the movement in your knee and stop the pain, that's great. You're then going to be overloading your ankle and your hip joints. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's talk it out between you and me. You don't want to be doing that. So which is, do you think is the lesser? So, the and, and, and I think, and I like that, but I was the, the, we, we were talking obviously before we started, we almost did half a podcast before we, before we came on. <laughs> um, but about the, the patient I described to you earlier where I could understand like her symptoms and the need we use a foot orthosis to start with and then she was saying oh actually when I go into like conferences and things like that and I'm on my feet for a long periods of time like I, I can, my my knees hyperextend and they get really sore and then mm-hmm. she was like oh could we use something like this prescription and she gave me an idea and I was thinking well that does make sense it's, it, we could do that um and like expressly for the use of being on your feet for long periods of time you would look at using these or hoses and then when like you know your kind of day-to-day was your um was your foot orthoses uh where you're at work and then at home you're kind of like you know whatever you're comfortable with 
and I was I and I kind of contrary to what you were saying, I was like kind of led a little bit by what the feedback was from from that patient. Uh because I think it's quite it's quite hard to know because it's not there when they come in. They're not coming in and saying, Oh, this is sore all the time. It's like, well, she's telling me this. Uh what do I do with that information? And do I go, no, no, you'll you'll be fine, or do you rehab, or do I say, okay, uh, yeah, that that that's the tricky bit because of, it's that relationship. It's that relationship, and social media has is is great. It's allowed um, this patient group to be able to speak to like-minded, high-mobile yeah. patients. Um, and discuss their frustrations of everything from getting on a bus to uh, getting into a hospital clinic to getting their orthotics. But that's also tricky for us because then someone comes up to us and says, oh, but so-and-so in EDS society recommends we should have this. But every patient is individual Mm -hmm. and you're not treating just what you see in front of them. You're treating the patient, their lifestyle, their what is your goal today? Mm-hmm. I can give you the most beautiful insole, beautiful Kirby Skype and everything like that in it. But actually, you're not going to wear the shoe mm-hmm. that it's going to fit into um, because you don't want to bend over in the morning and type your laces. You want to just slip on yeah. a slider. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's it's treating the patient as much as, as, much as anything. Um, and that's, you know... I've been doing a fair few lycra garments recently because it's the younger EDS. I just want to go out and be comfortable just going to a coffee shop with my friends. Um, And I don't want to wear bulky braces and things like this. Well, we'll try a a lycra garment. Um, And and again, styles that you're using regularly, a specific style that you use regularly? Um, I think they're all quite similar. The there's the high mo suit that Anna had done, um, and I don't to be honest, I've been out for a year, so I'm not 100% up to what everyone else is doing. So I'm very open to other suggestions, but um, they're pretty they're pretty good because they've got zips in more places than you'd imagine, Mm -hmm. and and the patient the the users are more than happy to just wear them as leggings. They don't have to put them underneath trousers or jeans or anything like that. Um, And you could do that with a fair few like garments. Mm-hmm. But they, you know, it just takes that pain score down too. So yeah. there's still like a six or a seven out of ten, which sounds ridiculous to them. But they're like, oh, I can just go to the coffee shop for an hour with my friends who I haven't seen for a month because yeah. I had a really bad flare up, and it's just mind blowing. And then they'll come back and say, right, I'm feeling good today. What can we try next? And yeah. that's that's what it yeah. is. It's not come in, get your one orthotic. I'll review you in six to eight weeks or however long you've got. Right, off you go. See you in two years with a new prescription. Okay. It's an I'm ongoing lifelong prescription. It takes me back as well to why I chose orthotics over prosthetics. I remember prosthetists telling me, ah, you don't want to do orthotics because they come in and they go out and you never see them again. At least with prosthetics, you'll see them and you'll build relationships with someone. And that it, it is completely wrong. You build relationships in orthotics as well. I like, think. I think we need, I think we can be, we're, we're quite different in terms of how much we how the services can be run and that mm-hmm. prosthetists do have that slower pace where they spend a lot more time with people and i do think we we need a bit of that too so we can we can do that uh in the, in the kind of nhs setting yeah. 
something that like in the private setting you can develop and that makes it does make a big difference just having more time with people I, I totally agree with that I think that time is time is um so useful when you can spend it with, with people um we've, we've getting talked, the outcome yeah. measures and the outcome scores as well to actually mm-hmm. prove to people why we shouldn't be the, the service at the end why have all these patients been through rheumatology been given loads of drugs to try um to help with the pain take mm-hmm. the pain away and then they go to physio who've tried to explain to them we're not going to make you better but you've got to keep strong and then they come to us because oh we've been trying to do this but you need to stabilize their ankle and it's like why don't you just come to us early on in your yeah. treatment and we'll work together but do you that will help them rehab so do you then have a clinic at the moment where you have rheumatologist physio and you yourself or clinician been trying to set it up for a while and um um i've been part of the hmsa society um the hack mobile society and it's just one of those things that we've been trying to do for ages but trying to find the time for these groups of people to get together and actually come up um mm. and to do it is, is great is just not possible and try and find a pathway where we can refer in between each other a lot mm. quicker again how is it be don't like you referring in and out in certain ways um definitely in private work um we can communicate a lot quicker yeah, yeah. and um it's education to the physiotherapists and ot's um as much as anything and more and more of them are saying oh i've got this patient's coming in we haven't started yet can you see what you can do to help us with the rehab goals and, and it's getting that link up straight away yeah and it- Kind of, I'll go looking through some of my questions that I said. I think we've probably we have talked about a couple of these ones already, but it kind of leads me back to like, do you do you think we over or under prescribe for these patients as a as a, as a kind of general blanket? Not not you, but what you experience. Uh, experience yeah. over prescribe. I think over prescribe. I really, I mean, it's going back to earlier. It's <clears throat> make them happy, get them out. Yeah, and they'll always come back. Or they'll go to another clinician, or they'll go wind up another physio who'll come back and refer them back in. And that's what's hard then, because they then bounce back. They stay in our, they get, they come to our clinics last, but they stay with us forever. Mm-hmm. And then one of the most challenging parts can be for like if you, if a clinician's taken over uh, a patient who, um, who's been in, like, can I say you, you think they've been over prescribed, and it's like, you know, how do you, how do you work that back down? That's possibly the hardest thing to do. I've, been there before like trying to trying to step back and trying to it's that that's difficult when they when they've had it they've worn it you think ah do do you want to try something not quite as strong see how you go on and it's like it's getting in to the your msk physio teams and your your rheumatologist podiatrists or your general podiatrists your msk podiatrists and your pediatric physios and educating them as much as anything to get in get into orthotics first um, and and actually interestingly it's i quite often find these these referrals where i'm picking it up and it's it's important for us to look out for the, the warning signs for eds and marfans and all sorts of these hypermobility disorders it's, it's usually when it comes through from a podiatrist referral Mm-hmm. of oh I've tried this in cell but I think they need a raise or they need something else or we've tried this it's just not going anywhere can you try um something and and it's usually those times that 
I'm picking up on patients that need to go off and be looked at. Um, I used to do the practice clinic up in the northeast here with uh, Mr. Gabra, the, the pediatric chest wall surgeon. And the amount of times we would send off children to go and get to the genetics team, which we've got a great service up in Newcastle, Central Life, um, for, for, you know, Marfans. Can you check this kid out for Marfans? He's got all the signs here. Um, just because, oh, they've got a pectus carinatum, pigeon chest, and they're super bendy. And there's so many of these children that were like hypermobile. Mm-hmm. And we were just, we set up this direct pathway there. Yeah straight through and uh i say luckily we caught a few it's one of those things you don't actually want to diagnose anyone with but i suppose an earlier diagnosis is better than finding out too late yeah and i I guess and then it's like you know what the severity of the symptoms at the time i mean what do we look at in terms of people who are hypermobile or eds or somewhere in the middle what what does it look like as they get older um and yeah we all stiffen up (laughs) we all stiffen up so the actual uh msk side of things becomes less i suppose they start getting more arthritic joint pain earlier Um, earlier than you yeah a bit earlier um and i mean the baton scale oh we'll go off the baton scale what is hypermobility on the bait scale? We're all taught at bait scale at uni. Um, I think it was the only thing we were taught about hypermobility. And yet, if you do a general clinic, how many people do you see with hypermobility? It might not be the reason they're in clinic to see you, but mm-hmm. I would say a half the people or just under half probably have a form of hypermobility. And we're not taught about it at uni. Um, mm-hmm. But the bait scale, it's, oh, if they've got a score of four, they're hypermobile. But then you can look at another paper and they're like, oh, if they got a score of five, they got hypermobility. Oh, if they got a score of six, they're hypermobility. And it's it's not a great scale because it really does change by their age. Um, and, but another scale that I love using is the foot posture index. Yeah. FPI six. Yeah. So again, um, when do you treat someone on the FPI six scale? So they say on, on that one, four. Mm-hmm. Four is normal. Plus four is normal. But actually... In children, plus six has actually been proven to be normal in young children. Yeah. And it comes around again that you get a score of six in in elderly as well. So young children have very pronated feet. They score higher on the FBI six. And then as they get older, they pronate again. Now, does this have a knock-on effect with knee arthritis and things that no one's actually, I think, fully come up with an answer for that? (laughs) It's, it's so hard to know because we kind of don't want to be in the side of giving out a prescription for the for the sake of giving out a prescription when we mm-hmm. want to be treating a I guess we we don't have enough evidence to be no you know treating the symptoms is is the only thing we can do yeah um and this is again something I'm always saying and th- this is why this is what I'm saying in pediatric clinic all the time is we treat the symptoms. Your, your child's got a flat foot, but they're absolutely fine. They're not tired. They're running around. They've just got a flat foot. We'll wait and monitor and see how it goes. And that's where I love the FBI six scale uh, because you can say, "Oh, just I'll just give you a score today. It's yeah. plus eight. Yeah, um, fine. We'll give you that score, and we'll see you in a year. If you're really that worried, we'll get you back in in a year. And it's like, oh, look, they've improved because they've got older. <laughs> like right. that's what it is. And right. the parents like. I, I mean, 
there's a few a few social media things I've seen about people who are putting kids with um like excessive pronation some and some symptoms into like AFOs and things now and trying to change their foot posture. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I don't know where I sit with that. I don't. I guess someone's got to go and do it to see whether it does make a change. But talking like Will's Law and like bone change, if you basically where we would maybe have given a symptomatic uh, valgus foot a, a, a fairly uh, strong foot orthosis there of saying, right, well, we put them in an AFO or something like really strong, get them to walk around in that for like six months, a year, then redo mm-hmm. their score and see if we're changing their foot position. Yeah, I mean, I, no, that blows my mind. I know, but that's what people, people are <laughs> doing. That. Gonna... <laughs> people are doing that. Well, I'll wait and see if anyone yeah. actually comes out with paper yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll wait for the evidence for it as well. I think I'll hold off. I mean, it's like, oh, we'll put them in serial casting for two weeks. I've seen it done by physios before. Put them in serial casting for two weeks. Oh, we'll get them out in two weeks. Like, do you not want to check after a week to see what happens? And then they come out two weeks later and they can barely stand because they've weakened so quickly. <laughs> but then I was like, oh, we can get stronger again. <laughs> I'll just, so, yeah, we'll just do some tiptoes. Is, is there anything else out there that um, that's that's kind of known or thought to be helpful for these hypermobile patients? Is there, and it's kind of leading because I feel like I have, I have had some, um, like I've heard some information about like taking up like, and uh, like like finding that thing where they can find the balance like pilates and yoga not not yoga so much but more pilates um and 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 strength training and 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 really kind of finding where that they sit in that kind of like spectrum of severity of what they can manage like and it is a bit of a kind of test they have to go and test out what they can do yeah it's knowing knowing the limits and it it's pilates is a fantastic one and for children um they're not going to go to pilates class but no. you've got um oh, on youtube they've got cosmic yoga and things yeah, like yeah. that it's just fantastic and going soft play going there's always the question should they do trampoline or not mm, it's knowing the limits now for adults that's easy for adults to find out what their limits are um and tickle those limits don't push yourself too far because you're going to hurt yourself and you're going to be off your feet for a week and then you're going to weaken very quickly and then we're going to have to start back to where we were three months ago. Mm. Uh, for children, it's a little bit harder to know where the limits are because yeah. they don't necessarily tell you. Um, but yeah, it's knowing what those limits are and do, doing them. Doing that with, I guess like from your, the way you're describing it, it's kind of like working with them to to discover those limits and yeah. like kind of based on what they're reporting, what you're assessing and then saying, all right, maybe start with it at this level. And like you say, kids is almost impossible they're just going to do what they want to do they're going to go <laughs> they're not going to do it carefully they're going to um yeah just have to have to they kind of yeah I don't but know. it's important yeah, as well but... from clinicians if and even our admin team if you know someone who's coming in ls danos or severe hypermobility and it's <clears throat> it's easy enough for some admin teams to look at how many appointments that patient has had the week running up to that appointment mm-hmm. day and if they've had two appointments the day before they're coming in to see you in your clinic, they're going to be knackered. They're going to, they're not going to want to do it. So even just have a bit of an open mind to, shall we ring them see if they want that appointment that day or do they want to push it back a week or so? Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not yeah. so tired when they come in. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's sort of a nice one as well. It leads me into my kind of 
the final question that I have, which is what what can we do better for these patients? Educate them as much as ourselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're lost in the system. Um, they're lost in themselves. They're lost in a world of pain and tiredness mm -hmm. and educating them that we can't stop that. Yeah. Um, we can help improve it. We have to work with them. We have to find the way that works for them because mm -hmm. Pilates is a fantastic idea, but if yeah. they, they, they might not be their, their thing to do. Yeah. Um, and I think that's it. It's like, that's one suggestion, but I think it's like test. Yeah. I say that to people when I kind of recommend people do strength training, even if they're in their 60s or 70s, some are already doing it and other people are like, well, it's like try and find, try and find something that you enjoy, which kind of gives you that same yeah. kind of... Uh, same kind of uh, workout or or feedback or because it should be something that people enjoy first and foremost yes and then trying to find Definitely. a level of what they can do it at and all this talk um, we're two orthodists and um, we've spent most of this time talking about physio rehab and not necessarily so much orthotics yeah. and I think a lot of people will say but your orthotics get back into your cupboard with all your bits and pieces what are the <laughs> <laughs> but it's just you know we, we we aren't just the fitters in the cupboard we we have to get out there we have to prove people we do more than that we do understand therapy with physiotherapy we work so closely i'm i go out and i teach my physios around us how to do orthotics i don't have enough time to see them all mm -hmm. so you know i make them competent or feel confident yeah. in orthotics. And then I go there and say, can I come and sit with you? And I want to see what you're actually doing yeah. in one of these yeah. sessions, especially if it's a troublesome patient that you're having or a tricky patient you're mm -hmm. having, go and join them in a physio session. So when they come back to you, you can say, have you done this exercise? And have you done that exercise? Do you want me to do a quick refresher with you? Yeah. Because actually you're coming here saying, this isn't working. And actually, no, I think you just, we'll just go through things together from a, a physio perspective instead yeah. of let's just add another met bar onto that insole or let's just do this you know we don't just do orthotics we have to do more i think any clinical podcast i've done and as in mean, mdt's come up it's in fact i think it's always come up on a clinical based like subject and it's always been positive like to to kind of work together with it's with physios and and it just seems to be like the perfect combination if you can both like put your skills beside each other at the same time or at the right time for that person that it, uh, it's 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 almost like game changer for the patient they're going to get so much more from it uh, there's so many wonderful diabetic mdts out there that orthotists are involved with there's loads of them it's mm -hmm. somewhere we've managed to come in because we're known as the shoe people mm -hmm. and the insult people why are we not there on with the physio msk why are there no ms it doesn't have to be hypermobility there should just be msk mdts mm -hmm. um in these yeah. first centers yeah. that are appearing and gp surgeries and we're not by the time they've come to us they've been to the gp they've been to the physio and then they come down to us like you know three four five months later mm -hmm. we should just be there so they can do gp physio office if needed i would wonder about the confidence within I wonder in in M generally in MSK physio or perhaps even in like rheumatology and stuff like that, where how confident are a lot of those clinicians uh, mm -hmm. and doctors to actually pick it up as well? Because mm 
um like i mean i be honest i wouldn't be like that confident to to think i was picking it up i'd almost like need that constant reminder and i do less clinic now so i'm not seeing i'm not doing an nhs caseload so i'm not seeing as large a variety of, of people um so it, you know i think like you know having that throughput to be able to kind of think oh, i can try this and you just once you do it once you think oh maybe i'll do it again uh, yeah. with this person and then you you can kind of get into a rhythm and then your mind just begins to train itself to like yours is now where your your checklist is in your head and alarm yeah pretty, we pretty should great. all be looking for red flags everywhere mm-hmm. i mean p-girls if you want a podcast idea anyway maybe we'll get you a p-girls talker but that's looking at red 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 flags yeah for uh, cp and all sorts going on they've just extended that to muscular dystrophy and things and that would be great we should be understanding these red flags yeah Yeah. and hypervisibility is just a symptom of a bigger diagnosis yeah it doesn't mean you've got that diagnosis but it's one symptom and then we've got the bruising, that's another symptom. And then it's the lightheadedness, and that's another. And yeah, we need to be educated on red flags. Then they? they're not red, red flags, but yeah, yeah. But I think you're right. It's a, it's a word we probably don't regularly associate with our assessments, is it? Like, are there any red flags? That's no, it, uh, that's definitely one that we should. Uh... But we're all got gut feelings. Yeah. And we should listen to our gut feelings and don't be embarrassed or think oh, I don't want anyone to think I'm a loony because if it doesn't turn out to be this then I'm just sending people down the referral link again go and speak to your rheumatologists and say can I just like have your email address so I can just email you I've got a bit of a query on this mm-hmm. patient can I just speak to you can we just talk with each other about what our concerns are about a single patient and you know don't don't be afraid to go make those links I've, I've sent a lot of wrong referrals <laughs> if you send out 10 wrong referrals but one of them happens to be right and life-changing it was worth sending out the 10 wrong ones yeah, to make exactly. that one right one and the thing is that if you get some feedback then it's like say, sorry, yeah. it wasn't what you thought it was like oh right, okay then you at least you've got something ticked off the list you it's... don't learn things by doing it right correct and <laughs> you learn things by doing it wrong so <laughs> amazing Thank you so much, Helen, for taking the time to come on and sharing all your knowledge. Thank you very uh, much for having me. Yeah, no problem at all. And uh, I think uh, it'd be good to to do a to do a little catch up uh, in a few months' time to see uh, to see what else is going on. I'd I'd love to hear back from anyone who you know. I've done a few talks and things now, and I'd just love to hear. There if is, it's giving more people more confidence to yeah, talk i'm not trying is. to educate what hypermobility is i just want people to have confidence there's there's a little there's a little question poll thing that's on the that, that is on the podcast the link on i think it's on the spotify one certainly because that's where i post it through so if anyone does yeah. have any feedback for for helen on either the podcast or anything anywhere else you've heard helen speak about this then uh then please put it in there because feedback is always helpful and i always welcome feedback for the for the podcast and recommendations of people i should talk to or subjects we should look into because uh it's most of the time it's just me coming up with ideas and if you've got a subject that i'm completely missing then, then send it my way nice one thank you, thank you.